0: Everybody, this is Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Joined by my good buddy Jonathan Schopp. He also has a podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. It's called Spartan Pride Podcast. And each week we gather on and, and on a Friday and we just dig into uh what's going on in the NFL and how it impacts. Now, John. Obviously, early in the week was the program, but we've got the American Century Golf Tournament taking place up in Tahoe where Devontae Adams is playing, the Raiders wide receiver. This is kind of the last hurrah for NFL players and coaches before the season starts. Devontae's in there. Everybody loves Devonte. But again, I don't think sometimes fans understand the mentality around the NFL is this is the last big free time off before camp. Your thoughts?
1: It really is. You know, this is an event that's been around for decades, but over time, it's gotten bigger and bigger, and now it's huge. People who don't watch golf tend to tune in during a relatively dry period of the sports calendar and TV calendar, and on a regular basis, they see a lot of names and faces that they know and have known for years. Now, from the NFL perspective, it really has become the last hurrah because for many players, and you'll hear them talking about it during the event, This is their last thing that they do, really, before it's gear up and prepare for camp. And that's really the nature of the event. We can talk a little bit about the field because it's always interesting to see who's going to play and who's not. And this year, we're going to see some old faces returning and some new faces showing up to keep an eye on. Let me start with the old face returning. John Elway is a very good golfer, as people know, but he could not play for the years that he was in an ownership and leadership position with the Broncos. John Elway is back. He has an interesting golf swing. He's interesting to watch, but let's see what the old quarterback can do. Devontae Adams is, of course, there for the first time uh, from the Raiders. He's going to have a lot of support. Josh Allen is there. Joe Buck is there. For many years, Joe Buck could not. Play in this because he had other broadcast duties. Keep an eye on Joe Buck. He is a serious golfer. Derek Carr will be there. That's right, folks. Derek Carr will be there. So let's see what kind of reception he gets. Of course, you've got the Curry family, which you see every year. Marshall Falk, um, the likes of Travis Kelsey, who we saw a couple weeks ago at the match, Pat McAfee, Mark Mulder. John Smoltz and Tony Romo. If you want to handicap the field, if you will, it's always fun to watch those three guys. Those guys have won. They've competed. Mulder, Smoltz, and Romo are to watch. Annika Sorenstam will be there. There's a lot of folks to play and a lot of folks to watch. Dan Quayle is there. I actually know his golf bag from way back when, uh, Honda. When I was a caddy at Congressional, he had a bag in the in the shop there and had these pretty neat little Vice President head covers. So. A lot of different folks, some there for semi-serious golf and some there, of course, for fun, for the Raiders' angle. Let's see what the fans do. Let's see the reaction and the kind of reception that Carr gets and that Adams gets. But this has really become the last event of the offseason for the NFL. I am a little surprised that Robert Sala is going to take that much time out of his schedule to be in Lake Tahoe playing this event. And I can tell you, I know they take it seriously. Uh, five, six years ago, I caught up with Jerome Bettis at a golf store, coincidentally, just before he was preparing to go out there and he was getting some work done on his clubs and talking about how like, he's like, hey, listen, there's a lot of people that see this and I hear about it all year. So I want to make sure that I put my best foot forward and uh, just show up out there and tear up the turf.
0: Well, my bet is I'm Mulder or Smolty, two of my fellow Spartan dogs. I'm going to go with them. All right. Now I want to get to an interesting topic. I don't want to dig into what happened because I don't think we have enough information yet, but Pat Fitzgerald, who I know personally, who I really like as a person, I've never seen anything about his character that would have impugned him. And I've been around him a ton interviewed him. I don't even know how many times, um, But until we have more information, I'm not going to comment on on the firing. But is this a guy you think, wow, he could get a job in the NFL as a defensive guy? You know, all of that. We're not talking about his coaching career because, again, right now, all we have are allegations. I'm going to tell you this. In talking to people very close to Fitz, they are lowering up. And they are lawyering up with the biggest and most expensive and best attorneys in the world. Uh, this is not over. Fitz is going to come after him. Again, we're not taking a chance either side. The allegations are brutal, but we also know they're allegations. And, and we're just mindful that we don't dig into that right now. We'll give we will, but not now, but he's lawyering up. He's coming after him, but, on a coaching side, is this a guy you think that could clearly end up in the NFL as a defensive consultant or a defensive position coach? Your thoughts on Fitz?
1: Yeah, so let's talk about this because we've seen it in other sports. Obviously, at college basketball level is maybe the the first thing that jumps to mind. You've got Kelvin Sampson, who is uh, fired in, in scandal of a different nature at Indiana, ends up as an assistant in the NBA. Others have followed the same kind of path. In the NFL, we think about when Jim Tressel resigned from Ohio State, ended up actually pretty high up in the Indianapolis Colts organization, nearly maybe their head coach at one point uh, before he retired from football and went back into the academic world. So as we look at Patrick Gerald's situation, um, allegations aside, he has been terminated. For now, he has been terminated from a private university, which is a totally different path than a public school. Um, like the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, like UCLA, this is a private school. It's going to be a different ride. There's going to be a lot that's done behind closed doors and, and under seal, if you will, that, that can't maybe be known to the public. But from a football coaching perspective, that is the question. Is there enough interest or will there be any interest? I would not assume this year, but maybe next year in Pat Fitzgerald. Well, when you look at Pat Fitzgerald and his record as, We both know, you know him personally, I know him uh, professionally, having interviewed him first in 2009 for nearly every single week of the football season through 2016. That's a lot of chopping it up. He gets along really well with his players traditionally, and they seem to have a tight bond with him. And I think to some extent, he got more out of a lot of the players at Northwestern than they probably thought they had in them don't always have the most talent or the most depth at Northwestern. In fact, it usually do not. He did get a lot out of them. Their record went up and down. That's understandable. What's not really, really known as far as I can tell is what kind of reputation does he have around the NFL for either being an X's and O's guy or a rah, rah motivation guy. My impression is that he understands the head coaching position extremely well. He understands what assistants have to do. And he probably can have some kind of career, Not it's, it's not to say as a rah-rah guy, because that's not really what you need from a position coach in the NFL, but I would think that there will be some interest in Pat Fitzgerald, and I hope that his mind is open to it. We know he's kind of said no thanks to the NFL in the past, but it would not surprise me if he ends up as an assistant at the NFL level and a successful one, it would be a little bit of a surprise if he makes such a jump this year. Obviously, his world has just been flipped upside down. This is July. You're talking about and thinking about fall camp beginning in August and everything you have to line up to put on any kind of fall camp with 105 football players, another 50 staff, etc. So Pat Fitzgerald's world is, is, is spinning right now. Um, but I'm not sure. What do you think his reputation is around the league as a potential assistant? Cause there could be some high level value. to it.
0: Pat Fitzgerald is one of the most respected people in all of college football. Um, again, for anyone just checking in, we're not defending him. There have been serious allegations that when those are made, you got to investigate. So we're not speaking specifically about the allegations. I can tell you this. Uh, I think I know you know this about one player, but I have had three of my friends who Pat was recruiting their children. It's correction. Four. I just I forgot about one. Four. And in all four cases, you know, Pat would say to them, you know, check us out. And they would and they would talk to me. And let me just say all that that uh, there are multiple colors involved here. So it isn't just white, you know, four white kids. And every one of them, I said, I'd let my kid play for Pat Fitzgerald in a heartbeat. All four of them I reached out to when these allegations started. And they were like, man, I I was there. I'm not familiar with, you know, with what they're talking about. Again, we're not sweeping anything under the rug at all. I want to make that very, very clear. But he's super respected. And I think that there, if Pat Fitzgerald was willing to take a coach's job, not a head coach, a coach's job, he would be welcome back. Again, pending how these allegations are fettered out, uh, he would be welcome back in a heartbeat. Very well respected. All let right, right, let's, let's change direction here. The NFL – Do they need a COO, a chief operating officer, and a chief executive officer? And the operating guy, you know, he can take care of football. He can take care of the operations. The executive can be that, go out and do the TV deals and everything else. I've made it so clear. I'm not a Roger Goodell fan. Um, I'm anything but that. I'm not a fan whatsoever. Um, but they need a football guy making football decisions. Roger's not. He's a businessman.
1: You
0: know, again, I think it hurts the league. Does would it help them to add that?
1: Yeah. So what we're talking about really is a vision for the future. Does the NFL, as it continues to grow and expand, does it need to make a change the next time there is a change at the top? I think it probably does. So a CEO traditionally is more of a, Long-term vision guy, idea guy, or gal who's got the big picture in mind. I want to see, uh, you know, the Super Bowl in Hawaii. I want to see the Super Bowl in New York. I want to see it in Seattle. I want to see it in Miami, and then I want to see it right in the middle of the country. Big picture ideas. Just for example, a COO is how do we hammer that out? How do we make that happen? How do we how do we put that in place? I do think that the size and scope of the NFL is one that does call for a COO the next time really as soon as the opportunity presents. And when you talk about a COO, you may even have underneath that a uh, football operations um, and even you know media operations, game day operations, et cetera. If you look at the NFL ops team, which is what they call it, you know they arguably have something along those lines, but they don't really have it. Because Troy Benson, who's the executive vice president for football operations, that, that's not a COO. And maybe he's the first guy that gets a look as a COO. The other folks on that team uh, below are are not really at that level. And this is going to require a massive ego check for whoever the next commissioner is, because they're going to be a commissioner and you would have a COO. But one of the best things about the NFL and the reason that it has the success that it's had is that it on a regular basis has been able to do more of the best things for the sport than the other sports that they're against the other major sports in the country. What I mean is more often than not, not every time, obviously they've been able to do the better thing for their sport. And it's continued to grow. It's very easy to look at Augusta national because it's the same major sporting event at the same location every single year. And they have had 70 plus years to refine it and improve it. And to their credit, they still do, by and large. And that's why it is, at least in the sports world, considered the most organized event that there is. That's a different animal because it's one, really, one collective mind, one voice, and they hit the gas and go. For example, right now, you know, they're, they're tearing up their golf course and improving their facilities and already moving forward to an event that's eight months plus away. So the NFL level, really easy to have too many cooks in the kitchen. Holy cow, we could have the biggest kitchen in the world. In fact, we do. It's the most popular entertainment product in the country. But I do think it is missing a COO. I do think we need that organization of a CEO, a vision guy, a public face, whatever. And the COO who really knows how to get things done and get that vision going forward. There's probably been too much asked of folks like the competition committee and some of the different different things we hear about in the offseason. There maybe has been a little bit too much asked of them because they maybe don't have the power or the resources or they have other stuff to do like coach an NFL team to really invest in making those things and, and helping put them into place. And I don't think the okay. commission, whoever it has been, has been effective enough at getting some of the stuff done in a timely fashion. You get a COO in there, all of a sudden, some of the big visions that the NFL has, I think they come to fruition quicker, such as throwing it out there, the Super Bowl going to Hawaii when Aloha Stadium is completely done and renovated later in the decade.
0: Yuck. All right, John, I want to end with this. The Las Vegas Raiders team motto is just win, baby. And that is what the fan base is sold from their ownership now i've used this analogy before if a dad says to his son every day hey i'm going to pick you up at three o'clock take you go get a banana split that kid has every right to expect his father to honor his word i mean to me a dad's word is the most valuable thing in in a child's life and i understand a franchise and its fans are not a father-son relationship but there still is an exchange of money. I mean, it's a, it, these people are called fans, fanatics for a reason. They buy everything. If it wasn't for them, why do you think they change the draft hats and the sideline wear every year because these fans go out and buy it all? That said, a Raider fan takes a ton of criticism. All of these people have the most unrealistic expectations. And, and you know this. I'm not a Raider fan. I have tremendous respect for the franchise. Some of its greatest players are some of my best friends, Matt Millen. I love them. Uh, The players. I have great respect for the franchise. I don't wish them ill will at all. But I didn't grow up a fan of them. But to me, when I see this criticism of the fans, I think it's completely misplaced. They're sold this every year. This is all on ownership. This is all on leadership. Don't get mad at the fans for these expectations when it's what they're sold, I think when people rip the Raiders, they need to be ripping management and all of that and not ripping the fan base. Because I think the fan base is just holding ownership and management to the standard they're selling. Your thoughts?
1: Well, you pretty much uh, you nailed a couple things on the head. First of all, you're there to observe, evaluate, and report and to do so in a neutral fashion based on what you see, learn, hear, etc., from decades of experience, of course, around the sport and inside of the sport. So this is a great deal for Raider Nation because they get that kind of voice nearly every day. Second, the Raiders are an extraordinarily unique professional franchise because they set that expectation of just win, baby. Way before winning was the primary driver of NFL fandom, really way before it was, this is part of the culture. This has been in the culture for decades and decades. The guy that owned the team at first, of course, planted the flag in the ground and said, this is where we're going. And and nobody has actively or passively backed away from that. So of all the fan bases in the NFL, the one that should be least critical about voicing complaints, or having issues with the record of the franchise is the Raiders. Let's just look at an example, go across the Old Bay. The 49ers won a hell of a lot of ball games and Super Bowls for a long time. I don't remember them once saying, this is the standard, this is the expectation, this is what we're going after. The same for the older folks out there for the, the great run with the Steelers. That's not what the Steelers rolled out there. In my youth, Joe Gibbs, they didn't ever put that out there. They didn't ever put out there that we're going to go win three Super Bowls or, or bust. So there really is not any room for criticism of the Raider fan base on this issue. The franchise is saying, just win, baby. That is planted a flag. It is in the ground with cement. And the fan base is has really every right to say, hey, this is the standard. We're paying really close attention. We've got some questions and critiques about this, that, and the other. But to their credit, if wins pile up, I don't think you're going to see a lot of people in Raider Nation complaining that we're not winning the right way or we should have won by 14 and not 11. That's not going to be an issue. So the Raiders actually, to me, and this goes way before we ever started doing this work here and I ever came on your show. This goes back decades. They're the only ones that planted that flag in the ground and said, just win, baby. When you had other franchises that were kind of cruising and maybe some owners that really didn't care if they won or anything, not the Raider franchise. That is the standard. As long as it remains in the air and as long as nobody's backing away from it, as long as there's signs around the stadium with it, that's the way it is. Everyone who comes into that football building to work there needs to understand, and I'm sure understands, because I imagine it's all over the place. That is is what the franchise is going for. So they got nothing to hide, nothing to worry about. And from the fan base perspective, they should get less critique. People should be less down on the fans than any other franchise because there's nobody else out there who is bold enough and has the stones enough to say, just win, baby, is our motto.
0: Now it's on the franchise to live up to their motto. Pretty good stuff. He's the great John Shop, part of the Fans First Sports Network with the Spartan Pride podcast. I'm Hondo Carpenter from Sports Illustrated's Fan Nation, Las Vegas Raiders Insider Podcast, part of the Fans First Sports Network. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next Friday. This has been a Las Vegas Raiders Insider Production on the Fans First Sports Network. whoa. whoa.